Hey, everybody. What's up? Yes, it is 3.30 p.m. on the 5th of February, 2020. It is Thursday. And I thought I'd come on here. And as you see, the title say, do a few topics on my mind. And basically, those topics are, ladies and gentlemen, as I look at the list here, Um, those topics are right off the bat. There are eight topics. And I apologize for that right there. I got a little bit of an itch. I don't know why that happens when I start doing live streams. And if you notice, there is no um, StreamYard logo. Apparently, I've got the uh, free trial of the basic plan uh, for the next couple of days. So I may or may not try that out. So we'll see what happens. Um, but if not, you know, it's just cool the way it is. Uh, but yeah, basically the topics I'm going to discuss here are eight topics. The first one being uh, something that's really interesting, and that is the NFL being too scripted, especially during playoff time. We'll get into that in a mo- moment, and I think a lot of people will find that intriguing. Um, the second thing we're going to talk about is the Hulk Hogan effect and how it relates to Edge's recent Uh, in-ring return at the Royal Rumble. We will talk about the news that dropped today about Donald Trump being acquitted, not found guilty during the impeachment trial. We will talk about Disney taking more control over Hulu and how that might affect certain shows. Uh, We'll talk about Dr. Makuras and why it's okay to, in some cases, show that you have one and maybe give some hints along the way of how to do it. Basically show how you have one, share it, you know, just in case you feel like there are certain people around you, like family or such, that may not understand. Second up, uh, uh, the sixth thing we'll talk about, I should say, the sixth thing we'll talk about is liquid slash melting slash shape-shifting women slash men slash characters, the next big thing in all media stories. Get into that. Seven. Will we have a sequel to the Sonic movie, should it succeed? And eight, what future characters could we get in Smash Brothers Ultimate Season 2 pack? Basically, of course, the announcement is there's another season of six fighter packs coming. Seeing as though we filled out the first season, we got a second season, a second version, if you will, of six additional fighters coming. Uh, people like Andre Meadows of Black Nerd Comedy already kind of talked about that, gave their thoughts on it, on who they would like to see, and I will give my thoughts on what future characters we could get as well and try to be more like I, – I, I'll put it this way. I'm not going to go outside of the realms of, eh, you know, iffies, you know, wild cards, you know, may, maybes, maybe nots, but also look in-house kind of deal. So with that said – Let's uh, let's get going, shall we? <laughs> let's get going here. Um, so anyway, let's talk about the first topic. Like I said, the NFL being too scripted, especially in play, especially uh, during playoff time. Now, in case you guys uh, don't know what I'm talking about, uh, a lot of people over the past several years have been, if not decade have been talking about 
how certain games during the playoffs and mostly the Super Bowl itself have been somewhat scripted, if not rigged, to go a certain way. In fact, somebody recently here on YouTube called Master at Work uh, did a video talking about the recent Super Bowl that happened this past Sunday being rigged and how all the clues and evidence that he presents uh, throughout uh, the video. Now, I have not watched the entire video, but basically he points out certain little nuggets here and there, moments, Easter eggs, if you will, you know, tiny, you know, big, if not tiny bits of evidence that show that basically it was, in his opinion, rigged the whole time for the Kansas City Chiefs to go on and win the Super Bowl over the San Francisco 49ers. And we'll talk about that. We will also, like I said, well, yeah, we are talking about that, I should say. So, but anyway, but like I said, uh, Master at Work basically came out and did that video. So let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about that for a second. You know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit. I'll be the first to admit. Because I've said it before and I'll say it again. The NFL and other uh, leagues out there, the NFL and other leagues out there, other sport leagues, are becoming pretty much too scripted. They are becoming too scripted. Hear me out. It seems that no matter how you look at it, no matter how you look at it, okay, no matter how you look at it, it seems that ever since the NFL started to get more into that sports entertainment aspect um, in the, you know, of the game, more, the, more so than you know, what happens on the field playing-wise, it seems that a lot of Super Bowls, if not playoff games, if not certain key games to lead into the playoffs, have been going a certain direction that doesn't make sense. Now, in the past, if you grew up like I did throughout the 80s and the 90s, yeah, you had your star players appear in movies, commercials, and all that, but it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, after those appearances, which were far and few and in between, you know, they would just go back to their normal routine of focusing on the season, focusing on playing the game. They, wouldn't, they would basically take what they just did outside of the NFL or outside of the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball, college football, whatever you want to call it. They would take it and just put it in the back burner and act like it never happened and focus more on what needs to be done. Um, but basically, lately, you know, that has changed over the past decade or so. Now it seems, and this is just my opinion, this is my opinion. Well, what's this? Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Kurt Douglas passed away about nine minutes ago. At the age of 103. Wow. Whew. He lived a long time. I'll probably talk about that at the end. But yeah. 
Oh, yeah, that's huge. I didn't even expect that. That's something that, ha- you know, I see right there. That's something you don't actually see. See, uh, amidst all this impeachment stuff and everything, we find out about this. So, whoo. Uh, well, yeah, I'll probably talk about that at the end. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a big one right there. But um, anyway, anyway, getting back on topic here. Uh, basically, um, basically, it's like. Over the past decade, a lot has changed, if you know what I mean. Basically, a lot has changed. Um, What I'm trying to say is this. What I'm trying to say is this. It's like in the past, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s and even the 70s, like I said, you know, you would have certain players and everything do cross-media appearances, movies, shows, whatever. But then they would put that in the back burner. They put that in the back burner. And they would focus more on the sport that they're a part of. They would act like what they did, you know, never really happened. It's like, you know, it wasn't a big, big deal. So, so, uh, you know, that kind of helped make things more feel more natural, feel more even, um, if you will. But, you know, apparently over the past decade or so, we've gotten away from that. And it seems that the NFL has become more scripted than it should or should be. Now, some may blame the original XFL for that happening. I mean, it's ironic the XFL starting up again. But some could blame the original XFL for that happening and That could take some of the blame. But truth be told, we don't know whether it was the original XFL or was something else that kind of stirred the way uh, for this to happen. You know what I'm saying? We, We don't know. You know, we don't know what stirred the way for the change in the NFL to where now you can't turn on the TV without seeing a star player in multiple commercials or appearances or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, you know, what, why, what's the point of this? What's going on now? One thing master at work uh, pointed out, out is the NFL likes to throw in his opinion, the NFL likes to throw out hints of potentially the Super Bowl, the, what the Super Bowl is going to be, what teams are going to be in it. And sometimes, as he puts it, they like to throw out red herrings as to what they want you to think, but then they go in another direction. Whatever the case may be, again, I stick by the fact that lately, over the past decade, it's pretty much, it's not just the, it's pretty much around Super Bowl time, playoff time, um, that you kind of get a better sense of who's going to win, 
who's pretty much being pushed into the spotlight to become the champ. And the one clue I always look at, I look at several clues sometimes, that kind of makes you look at the fact that, yeah, they're kind of scripted and something's going to happen here that, you know, doesn't feel natural, doesn't feel right. And that is the fact of a few, and that is a, and that, and that's a few factors, what I'm trying to say. That, that leads up or accumulates to a few factors. The first factor you have to look at is when they start focusing on a certain star player on a certain team more so than any other player. Now, one thing that Master at Work was pointing out is Patrick Mahomes was always featured a lot throughout the season in State Farm commercials, you know, head and shoulder commercials, you name it. But why? It's because the NFL was building him up to be the next star, superstar player that would be cross-media and all that. Be the rock, if you will. So, with that said, so with that said, you know, you have, that's one factor you have to look at. The other factor is when you get to a certain time, like let's say that team gets to that Super Bowl, you got to start listening to what the uh, uh, commentators, the announcers and all of them talk about out when it comes to this team more importantly you got to listen for any historical facts or details or sto- behind the scenes stories associated with the team that's in that game because if they start talking up you know the history of that team or they're talking about this portion this uh side of the team or this side of the team then you're pretty much getting your second factor put into play your second clue that that team's favored to win that team's going to get the push and then you also get a third factor the coach how long has it been since the coach won a super bowl if they start playing up the fact that the coach hasn't won it in so long then there you go you pretty much have three factors that play into the fat play into uh, you basically what i'm trying to say is you have three factors that play into into the outcome of what the Super Bowl is going to be. That is, star player getting featured a lot throughout the season in non um, non NFL media commercials, stuff like that. The second is the team getting played up, whether it's its history, its uh, certain parts of it, divisions, you know, certain. Uh, you know, history making things that they're doing, stuff like that. And then third is the coach. And when you look at Kansas City, Kansas City plays into all three factors. Patrick Mahomes was being showcased a lot outside of the NFL in these state farm commercials and other head and shoulder commercials and all that. The second factor was they were playing up the history of the Kansas City Chiefs and how they had not won in over half a century, 50 years. And then on top of that, the third factor is Andy Reid, the coach, and how he had not won a Super Bowl in 20 years, the last one being as an, as an offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers under Mike Holm, Holmberg, or Holmberg. I think that's his name. I think that's a pronounced name. I'm sorry if I butchered it. Mike Holmberg. Yeah. Basically, they, play up that, they played up that fact. So those three factors were played in. And pretty much when you have those three factors played in, especially around Super Bowl time, you pretty much have 
the script written out for the Chiefs to win. And that's where a lot of people look at, including myself, look at the fact that the NFL has become too scripted, especially during playoff time. Because every because let's be honest, I'm happy the Chiefs won. I'm happy they did. You know, it's been a long time coming. I'm happy they won. But here's the thing. People will come out and argue the fact that the Chiefs trailing the way they did shouldn't have been able to easily make the comebacks that they did. That the teams that they faced, all right, the teams that they faced from the Texans to the Titans shouldn't have been allowed to, shouldn't have allowed, I should say, the Chiefs to make the comebacks they did and as, and as large as they did from a point standpoint or from a point perspective, you know, a scoring perspective, they shouldn't have allowed them to make such an easy comeback or massive comeback. The same with the 49ers. You know, people play up the fact that they shouldn't have allowed uh, the Chiefs to make such a massive comeback. But it was all part of the script. Basically, the players go out there, they're told, go out there, play a legitimate game, you know, up to a certain point, And then when you get to that certain point, then you let the other team make the comeback and win because that's what it's scripted to be. You can't tell me that Roger Goodell, you can't tell me or anybody else that Roger Goodell or those around him don't go to both teams and say, good luck out there, play a great game. But, oh, by the way, uh, San Francisco, you're going to take the lead. But when we get to the fourth quarter, you're going to blow it. You're going to act cocky and the Chiefs are going to come back and win. And I'm sure is that, again, it's mere speculation, but the clues are there. It's mere speculation, but the uh, but it's my opinion and the clues are there and it's, you know, and all that speculation and stuff is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but like I said, you can't tell me that if that's the case, cause I know some people might say it's not. And you know, it's just the chiefs are better when it comes to the comebacks legitimate, are legitimately better, especially when it comes to coming back and winning. I'm not denying that. I'm not going against that. But again, you look at all the factors people will point out. Even Master at Work would point out point out and would point out these same factors. And even agree with what I'm saying and others are saying. But the point being, you can't tell me that if this is the case, if this is the case, and this is just mere speculation, that when Gardell Roger Goodell went into both locker rooms, wish both teams luck, that he when he went to San Francisco's luck, locker room, wished him luck, that he also said, oh, by the way, guys, you're going to have the lead throughout most of it. But when we get to, excuse me there, but when we get to the fourth quarter, you need to let the Chiefs come back and win. Now, again, that's mere speculation, but some people have pointed out that the look on Jimmy Galapagos' face and the rest of the 49ers' faces and the fact that reports are they're visibly upset at Kyle Shanahan. You know, they're visibly upset at Kyle Shanahan for the plays that he called. You can't tell me that some of them didn't know or weren't in on the fact that, yeah, you know, we're going to take the lead. We're going to look like we're going to win. But then we're going to have to drop it because he's going to make these calls and we don't like it. You can't tell me they weren't visibly upset. Not just at the fact that, you know, they were losing. But they knew probably what was coming and what plays were going to be called, and they didn't like it. So when one looks at the Super Bowl, 
You can have your opinions, your controversies, your conspiracies, and your theories as to whether or not it was rigged. And that's fine. But the truth of the matter is, deep down, you know and I know, I'm just suggesting something there, but you know as well as I know, the NFL in recent years, in recent decades, in the past decade, I should say, has become too scripted. In fact, I was watching a video by TPS, TPS here on YouTube, that talked about the most rigged Super Bowl in history, and that was Super Bowl 40. Yeah, Super Bowl 40. And how everything was set up for Jerome Bennis to go out on top. So if you have people theorizing and conspiring at the fact that Super Bowl 40, Super Bowl 40, which took place literally 14 years ago, was set up the way it was. Or Super Bowl 45 was set up the way, no, actually Super Bowl 40, yeah. Super Bowl 40 was set up the way it was. You know, you, you, you can't tell me you can't tell me you know you can't tell me that people won't have the same kind of opinion that I do or that Master at Work does. You know, you can't tell me that they you know, they wouldn't feel, they don't feel the same way. Because again, you have a channel talking about a Super Bowl that happened 14 years ago. 14 years ago, I believe, saying that it was rigged. I mean, they even point out the fact that the officials, they even point out that the officials have said that some of the officials, or one of them at least, came out and basically acknowledged that they blew that Super Bowl. And you even have the documentaries. You know how the NFL, the NFL Films, does these Super Bowl documentaries, or documentaries, I should say, on the Super Bowl, on past Super Bowls and all that? You have people... You have people coming out in those... um, in those documentary, in those documentaries, I should say, you have people coming out and saying that that Super Bowl, Super Bowl Forty, Super Bowl Forty, was the most rigged game they had seen. And, and that's the truth. That's the truth. You know, people came out and said that the way it was set up, the way it was set up, the Super Bowl was rigged. It was rigged to them. You know, it's like, I mean, they even pointed out TPS even pointed out several of the other factors that came in even before that. How the Steelers were able to get 
leads and beat teams that normally they shouldn't have been able to beat. So, again, this has been going on scripted. They were. This has been going on scripted or rigged, whatever, however you want to look at it. It's been going on for a long time. I mean, when was this played? February 2006. 2006. I was still living in Kansas at that time. But people point out the fact, point out the fact that because it was Jerome Bennis' last year and he wanted to go out on top, everything was set up for that to happen, the location and everything. But again, this has been going on for almost two decades, if not a decade and a half, 15 years. Sorry about that. My my, my uh, hand hit the cord there. But anyway, it's been going on for about 15 years, half a decade. A decade and a half. And I don't see it stopping. I don't see it stopping. But I hope it does. Because because here's the thing. When you look at the NFL, yeah, it's still very popular. But its popularity is whining. It's weighing, if you will. It's, it's wandering away. It's, it, it's, it's dissipating. It's dissipating. It's, it's weighing, basically. It's not what it used to be. And one of the factors that plays into it is how people perceive the fact that the NFL, from their point of view, is scripted slash rigged, especially during playoff time. And they don't like that. They just want two te- they just want the teams that have worked the hardest to get into the playoffs and mostly the Super Bowl to go out there and let the better team win instead of relying on a rigged or scripted outcome. That's all they want. That's all they want, but they can't get it. They just can't get it apparently. So now, so now we have to deal with the fact. So now we have to, you know, deal with the fact that basically, you know, the officials and the NFL in general, Roger Goodell and all them, and I'm just moving my thing there. Sorry about that. But we got to look at the fact that Roger Goodell the officials that get assigned to these games and all that, and mostly the celebrity status of a quarterback or player, whatever player, offensive or defensive player, we got to look at all that, you know, all that's going to be put into question, basically. All that's going to be put into question until this gets fixed. Hopefully, hopefully somebody gets to Roger Goodell and uh, gets into Roger Goodell's ear and say, look, we're losing our fans to other football leagues. We're losing them to college. We're losing them to the XFL. We're losing them to the arena and all that. We can't lose these fans. We need them here. So you know what they – so hopefully whoever gets – whoever talks to him basically explains, look, we can't rely on this anymore. Let's just have these teams go out there and legitimately play and see who wins. And in his and here's the thing that people say that you know it's getting excused. The fact that the officials are more tight with calling making certain calls. Like they just want to let the teams go out there and let the better teams win. Okay, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. If you want to just go out there and let them, you know, face each other and play against each other and let the better team win, then guess what? If that's what you want to do, here's what you do. 
you throw the flags away. You tell Roger Goodell, you tell the people in the offices of the NFL, hey, if we're officiating the Super Bowl, we don't want to have any flags. Let's make it a flagless game. No flags, anything goes. If that's how they feel to let the better team win, then so be it. But the point is, no matter how people look at it, nowadays, and like I said, in the past decade and a half, it's the NFL has basically become too scripted. And it needs to end. It needs, like I said, it needs to end. Okay, it needs to end. It needs to get back to what made it great. So, but yeah, is it becoming too scripted during playoff time? Absolutely. And you, and if you don't believe me, you don't want my opinion. And if you don't want just my opinion on it, check out Master at Work and his Super Bowl Fifty Four rigged video, and check out TPS and their talk on Super Bowl Forty being rigged. And you'll kind of get your get your clues there. All right. Uh, next up. Next up here, we are going to talk about, let me just check it. All right, sorry about that. My finger hit the mic there. Just scratching there for a second. But let's talk about the Hulk Hogan effect. Okay, guys. Now, in case you don't know what the Hulk Hogan effect um, is about, and I'm just, 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 I'm just adjusting my mic here. But if you don't know what the Hulk Hogan effect is about, uh, let me explain. You see, back in 1994, Hulk Hogan jumped ship to WCW. Now, with that said, not only did that give the wrestling business something to talk about and give it an injection that was needed, but it now gave fans an alternative sorry about that but it now gave fans an alternative of who to watch that's basically what it did it gave fans the alternative of who to watch that's what it did it gave them that alternative it gave them the alternative to watch whoever they wanted to watch because now, all of a sudden, you had one of the biggest stars in wrestling, mostly known as a WWF guy, or WWE nowadays, working for the competition. Now, some might say it really wasn't that big of a deal until later on, and that's true. Because when you had Hall and Nash show up, and then Hogan joined them, and then that Hogan effect turned into the NWO effect, that really got people talking. That really gave people uh, an opportunity to be like, okay, you know, who do I uh, who who do I watch? You know, and like who who do I watch? You know, um, you know, do I watch? Do I continue to watch? You know, WCW, WWF, or do I watch WCW? It gave them that. It gave him that option, is what it did. 
you know, it, it gave him it gave him that option. It was like, oh, okay, you know, you know, okay, I'll, I'll check out W. Because honestly, when Hogan jumped, it got people's attention. Even the W, the diehard or passionate, you know, WWF fans to go check out WCW because all of a sudden here was this WWF guy jumping ship or signing with a company that he said he never would that signing with a company, a company, mostly the competition when basically according to a lot of reports, he said he never would. You know, he said he never would. So that got people, like I said, that got people's attention. That gave the wrestling business a shot in the arm is what it did. It gave him a shot in the arm that no one thought could be given to the wrestling business at the time. I mean, yeah, you had the likes of Ray Trailer, aka the boss, big boss man, jumping ship before that and going over there pretty much as the boss man, but changing it to the boss, honest and everything, and being one of those cases to where when you try to stay to try to stay true to the character you were before, it kind of comes back and bites you from a legal standpoint. So, and I'm just uh, doing something here real quickly. So, yeah, the but and even though he jumped ship, it didn't. It wasn't that much of an ejection. It wasn't that much of a shot. Not even Jake Roberts jumping ship, even though it did get some attention. Him jumping ship a few months after his last match at, in WWF at WrestleMania Eight. You know, even though it did get people talking, it didn't. It wasn't that big of a deal later on. It was just like, okay, he jumped ship, big deal. But when you have someone like Hogan do it, and then the effect it had later on with Hall and Nash joining the company and then teaming up with him, you know, that's basically going to cause a big ripple effect that's going to get felt for years to come. It is. It's going to be a big, you know, it's going to have a massive effect. And... And, you know, this is a prime example of that. And that and that then was a prime example of that. So, I mean, heck, even when Hogan went to TNA, you know, they kind of gave it a shot in the arm. It wasn't as big of a – it wasn't as big of a deal as his jump to WCW, but still it got enough people's attention. The point that I'm getting at is this and how it relates to Edge. You see – Word going around, according to people like Jason Solomon, a.k.a. Solomon's to Sounds Off, according to them, Edge, Edge was in negotiations with AEW. Basically what happened, I don't know if this happened before SummerSlam or after SummerSlam, where he made the appearance in the kickoff show in Speared Elias, showing that he could get physical again. I don't know if it happened before then or afterwards. But basically, Edge was in, was in talks with All Elite Wrestling, with the Khan family. Long story short, from what 
I've heard from the details and information that Salamonster has been able to gather. Mike Johnson of PW Insider has been able to gather. Just Alex of Just Alex's YouTube channel and podcast, formerly Deluxe Man, has been able to gather, and many others. The Khan family was willing to offer Edge the same amount of money, the same offer, uh, you know, money-wise and everything that you know, WC that not WC, but WWF or WWE, I should say, later on would offer him, would match, would match an offer to, uh, to him. So basically, long story short, the Khan family was willing to negotiate with Edge and bring him in on the debut episode of Dynamite on the first Wednesday in October. They were planning to do that. And this all stemmed from the fact that either before or afterwards, Edge had basically made it clear in an interview on a radio station or on doing one of his podcasts with Christian that he could go maybe one more match. He could go and do one more match or so uh, in the ring. And again, the evidence visually that we saw was him spearing Elias at SummerSlam. And I'm guessing that's what got the ball rolling when it came to negotiations between Edge and both companies. Because from what I understand, Edge was able to use the negotiations and the perks that AEW and the Khan family were giving to him from what I think Solomonster reported as leverage to get WWE to come out and say, you know what, Edge? We've changed our mind. You know how we said we would never clear you again to wrestle? We've changed our mind. You are 100% clear. We're going to let you get back in the ring. And I guess that's where the negotiations went in WWE's favor because they were able to work out a deal that accumulates to, I think, about $9 million a year or totals $9 million after three years. I think it's $3 million a year or something like that. I don't really know. But basically... Negotiations started to favor WWE more because now they were willing to go all out to get Edge to stay with them. They even went as far, and this is what Solomonster reported, to fly to personally fly out a WWE ring to Edge's home so he could work out and get the ring rust off him before making his return. Yeah, that's what they did. And we can only assume that the negotiations came with a compromise, like, okay, we'll clear you to get back in the ring, but you can only work a limited schedule because we don't want to chance you, you know, getting re-injured if you go full time. And I guess Edge was cool with that. I mean, three million a year, you know, to work five matches a year and make 25 plus appearances or so. Yeah, sounds like a good deal to me. And this, in my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, all roots itself back, believe it or not. You, you know, I know you find it hard to believe, but it roots itself all back It roots itself all back to when Hogan jumped ship in 1994 to WCW, when basically, according to a lot of reports, you know, shoot-wise and in character or whatever, he made a promise that he never would. But yet, all of a sudden, you know, here we are. Uh, 
like I said, all of a sudden, and I was just looking at something there, typing it up, because uh, I'm linking this live stream to a lot of places people can watch. But all of a sudden, you know, yet about a year after his last match in WWE or WWF at the time, here he was signing with WCW in his first match there, becoming champion. So basically, it was that effect. In addition to Hall and Nash Championship two years later, informing the NWO, which basically opened the floodgates for a lot of people to jump ship. I mean, because when Hogan signed, again, it opened the doors for a lot of people to jump ship. Hacksaw, Randy Savage, you know, the like, if you will. You know, even, I think, Earthquake. You know, it opened the door for a lot of these guys to jump ship. And then when the whole NWO thing happened, it even the, it opened the floodgates even more. Because now you had the likes of O'Brien Adams, a.k.a. Crush. You had, you know, Bret Hart. You had, you know, Ted DiBiase. You had Sean Waltman, you know, you know, a.k.a. You know, one, two, three kid, you know, known as X-Pac, Six-Pac, if you will. You had all these people. You know, you had all these superstars, Medusa, a.k.a. Alondra Blaze. You had all these individuals jumping ship to WCW all because Hogan did it. All because Hogan jumped ship and it opened the door more so than it ever has been for people to do that. And then, like I said, you add in the NWO deal with Hall and Nash later on and you just pretty much open the floodgates. And how that affects what goes on today with the likes of Edge and even before Edge, Daniel Bryan. You think honestly Vince McMahon wants Edge to show wanted Edge to show up on AEW's first dynamite episode? No. He didn't want to hear Jim Ross go, Oh my god, it's Adam Edge Copeland. Formerly it's Adam Copeland, formerly known as Edge. Oh my god, he just be eared uh, Cody Rhodes. What the hell? You know, you think he wants that? Do you think he wants that? Do you think he wants him to get excited of Edge coming in under his real name, Adam Copeland maybe, and then spearing Cody Rhodes or spearing MJF or whatever? Do you think he wants that? No, because he knows Edge's presence would automatically take a, a huge, a huge hunk of viewership away from WWE, away from NXT, and put it on AEW. You think Vince wants that? You think Triple H wants that? No. They're going to do whatever it takes. The same with Daniel Bryan years before, about a year or so before. Daniel said he was going to go wrestle elsewhere. If he couldn't wrestle in WWE, he would go wrestle for Impact. He would go wrestle for Ring of Honor again. He'd go wrestle in Japan when they were expanding, stuff like that. And you think Vince McMahon, knowing the momentum these companies were getting at the time, and the fact that you had all sorts of superstars that used to work for WWE showing up and making bigger impacts with those companies than they did in WWE itself. Do you think they wanted that? Do you think they wanted to lose Daniel Bryan to that? No, no, they didn't. So they did basically what they did with edge. They said, Oh, you know what, Daniel, uh, we've made up our mind. We've changed our minds. Daniel Bryan, you are hereby clear. Yeah. You're clear to compete again because that's best for business. So, yeah. So, yeah, basically, you know, so, yeah, basically, WWE doesn't, 
only does this because they don't want to lose uh, any of these uh, superstars, even if they're, you know, limited to what they can do, like they have a limited schedule or not, or they're in retirement because they were forced to, you know, be put into retirement. Do you think, honestly, they want to lose them to other companies? No. Think they want to lose them to other companies? No, no, they don't. They don't. They don't want to lose these people. And why? Because they know if they lose them, they know that if they lose them, it's going to hurt them and it's going to take the viewership, it's going to take their fans away. It's going to take them away. And they don't want that. They do not want that whatsoever. And that's why Edge got the chance to come back and go off on his own terms. Because basically, when you look at it, it all roots itself back to when Hogan signed with WCW. And then when Hall and Nash followed suit about a year and a half later and the whole NWO thing happened, that effect is what is that jump. Those jumps, period, is what's being felt even to this day it's what's being felt even to this day and i know i know people are thinking that's not the reasoning and all that and fine you have a right to your opinion but guess what it's a fact because if hogan hadn't made that jump back in back in 94 the nwo wouldn't be what it is today it wouldn't be remembered as the the faction the alter the game-changing faction in wrestling that it is today. All right? And if Hogan not made that jump, people like Duggan, Savage, you know, Earthquake, none of them would have made the jump either. They would have stayed right where they were. They would have stayed. You know it. I know it. So, yeah, pretty much... To me, that's how Edge's return, how the Hogan effect, the Hulk Hogan effect, as I call it, relates to Edge's return. The fact that Vince McMahon and those around him, mostly a Triple H as well, don't want to suffer, go through the same situation they did 25 plus years ago. And that's a fact. Be right back, folks. Okay, guys, I'm back. I was just checking something there. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's pretty much why, you know, Edge Edge, and even before Edge, Daniel Bryan got the clearance to get back in the ring. Because you think 
WWE wants to go through the same thing. Vince McMahon, and now not just Vince, but Triple H wants to, you know, lose a lot of the viewership and fans to AEW because, oh, Edge is suddenly on there. No, they don't. They they don't want to, you know, they don't want to do that. So, just adjusting the mic there, but so yeah, that's why, in my opinion, so that's why, in my opinion, Edge got resigned. Edge was given the clear. Because it all roots itself in some in some shape, form, or fashion. It all roots itself back to Hogan jumping to WCW, and then later on the whole NWO thing. So that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion, though. But I believe in I believe it. That's a fact. It plays that 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 situation, that moment, twenty five something years ago, played a major factor. All right, number three. And number three, well, in case you guys haven't been paying attention, it has been announced, verdict has been heard, Donald Trump, our president, has been acquitted. Yes, in other words, he is found not guilty on all charges during this impeachment trial. And I know, I know there's a lot of people that don't like hearing this because, yeah, Donald's got his detractors. There's no doubt about it. Even those that support him, you know, they kind of question his tactics. There's no doubt. But basically what a lot of people predicted was going to happen indeed happened. Because a lot of people pretty much said that, okay, Democrats, you voted in-house to impeach him. But now you got to go to the Senate to put it on trial. And oh, by the way, a majority of the party that runs the Senate that you're going to have this trial in is Republican. That's not good. And like a lot of people pretty much figured at the end of the day, at the end of this whole thing, Donald Trump was proven not guilty. Now there are some that are going to disagree with that. There are going to be some that disagree with that and that's fine. Some are going to basically say, great, you just ruined our country. And that's your opinion. You feel that Donald Trump should, shouldn't should be in office anymore? That's, that's your opinion. That's your opinion. That's fine. You know, this is one reason I didn't vote in the last election as far as president goes because, you know, I'd rather, well, I think I may. Yeah, I did vote. But the thing is, this is why I stay out of politics. Because pretty much it's like, look, whoever you elect in office as the leader of our country for the next four four to eight years, you know, like us, they're just human. They're just merely human, just like all of us. So guess what? They're going to make mistakes. They're going to say things they shouldn't be saying. And they're basically going to do what a lot of us do at times. They're going to put their foot in the mouth. They're going to let the... Words override the brain. They're going to let the mouth, I should say, override the brain. And our president has done that on numerous occasions. And he's had to, and he's had to sometimes backtrack on that. He sometimes had to come out and apologize for saying some of the things he did. Not a lot, not a lot of times, but there have been times he's had to do that because. Hold on.
sorry about that. The phone's ringing. It's the wrong number. Just adjusting my mic again there, guys. But, yeah, you can tell it's the wrong number when uh, pretty much they only ring it a couple of times. Um, anyway, what was I? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, it's like, again, you know, he's only human. You know, he's going to, you know, he's going to let his mouth override his brain sometimes. He's going to say things that he shouldn't be saying. And he will come out, not a lot, not a lot of times, but he will come out and apologize for what he said, because some people will probably get to him and say, look, you just said something you shouldn't have said, President, uh, Mr. President. You said this and uh, it's going to hurt you. So you need to go out and apologize. So. Yeah, you know, he's only human. And a lot of people have pretty much pointed that out. Our president is only merely human, and there's not really much you could do about that. It's like if you or I were voted into office to run this country, do you think we would be able to come out and say and run it perfectly? No. And, you know, he's not going to be a perfect president. No, No president before him has ever been perfect. But the thing is, He's going to say things that will, you know, not a lot of people will agree with. He's going to, like I said, let his mouth override his brain. And he's going to, things are going to come out, you know, that he shouldn't say. Hey, that people are going to disagree with. Now, here's the thing, though. It's ironic that the verdict to either get him out of office or let him stay happened the day after the stated, the day after he gave the State of the Union address. Now, some may say that what he said in the State of the Union address, I should say, that what he said there kind of saved his bacon. Some will basically point out that what Donald Trump said in the State of the Union, State of the Union address, easy for me to say, you know, the words that he used there saved his bacon. Saved him from impeachment, you know, from from being fully forced out of office. And that might be true. Whatever. I didn't pay attention to the State of the Union address last night. Like I said, I don't like to get involved in politics too much. But whatever he said last night apparently favored him to be acquitted and found not guilty. Um, Basically the day after, which is today. But you know what's funny? You know what's funny, guys? Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi has been the one leading the charge here, right? To try to get Clinton out of office. She's been trying to get him for as long as he's been in office, almost since he was elected in and he was sworn in. She's been try- She, along with others, have been trying, mostly her, I should say, have been trying to get him out. Well, guess what? There is an image floating around. You can look this up online. You can Google it and all that. There is an image floating around that after the State of the Union address was made, that behind Donald Trump, as he's still speaking, finishing up or whatever, Nancy Pelosi took her copy of the State of the Union address. And this is no lie. She took her copy of the State of the Union address and went, tore it up. Why? Because I think Nancy Pelosi, and I'm, I know I'm not the only one that thinks this, 
But I think and believe, and I know, again, I know I'm not the only one, but I think and believe Nancy Pelosi tore it up in anger because she knew the moment he gave that State of the Union address, said what he had to say, that her plan to get him out of office, to get him impeached and get him gone, backfired. It's like right then and there, everything just went into a puff of smoke. All of a sudden, it's like all her late plans went to waste. Everything just went up in smoke. Disintegrated. It did. It, um, what was that one girl that said during one of the Bronies reacts that I watched? Said, um, let's see, what did she say? Oh, yeah. Basically, it dissipated and faded into nothingness is what happened. Basically, that's... When you look at her tearing up her copy of the State of the Union address, she pretty much knows, knows that all her late, all her best laid plans to get him out, along with other Democrats to get that were, you know, that agreed with her to get him out of office, pretty much backfired, pretty much went up in smoke. And now, as the old saying goes, it's up, it's back to the drawing board. It's back to the drawing board. Why? Because now they got to come up with another. Because now, well, what I'm trying to say is, think of it this way: If you think Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats that led this charge to get Trump out of office, or at least attempt to attempt to, I should say, to get him out of office, if you think they're going to just give up without coming up with another solution, you're wrong. Because they're going to do whatever they can to get him out of office. They could come up with a variety of ways of doing it. One of the most real, well, one of the most realistic ways, but it may, but it would look bad for them in the long run. But one of the more realistic ways they could do it is try to rig the election. That's the only. That's the only thing I can think of. The only way they can get him out of office is to rig this year's election so that whoever the one that opposes him, whoever runs against him, I should say, because, you know, there's no, because a lot of people feel there's no doubt he's going to get reelected or at least he's going to get selected by the Republican Party to run again. You know, there's a very realistic and very drastic chance that because they are so determined to get this guy out of office, that if it comes down to him being the Republican selection to run again for presidency for a second term, and someone like Sanders, whoever, gets selected by the Democrats to run against him, you can't tell me that they won't try to find a way to rig that election so that their choice wins and he's out. You can't tell me that's not a possibility because they are determined to get him out of there. They are. They are. So again, for now, it's back to the drawing board. And whatever they come up with next, you know, it, it to me, I fear it's going to be a very drastic and risky move on their part to try to get them out. I really do. I feel it's going to be a very drastic and risky move on their part. And I believe with that drastic, risky move that they'll try to make is rigging the election. 
you know, so. So it's. Uh, so basically, it's like. So, again, what I'm trying to say is basically it's. It's a. How do how do I put this? Basically, it's now you got to watch what they're gonna do. Because again, that image of her, you know, ripping up her copy of the State of the Union address, knowing basically probably in that moment that everything she basically fought for, along with those that supported her to get him out of office, pretty much went up in smoke. Again, and then on and then on top of that, with today's verdict of him being acquitted and not found guilty. You can't tell me that she's not going to, she and those that wanted him out are not going to try something else. You know, there isn't, there's an old saying that goes, desperate times call for desperate measures. And right now, you can't tell me that Nancy Pelosi and, the, and her crew that led this whole thing to get Trump out are not going to, you know, look at taking some desperate measures as to, to, to finally get him out for good. You can't tell me that they're not looking at that because they are. You can't tell me that the moment that the announcement was made, uh, we find President Donald Trump acquitted. We find him not guilty. You can't tell me that she wasn't on the phone or getting out of that Senate chamber talking with her fellow Democrats saying, okay, this backfired. Uh, This backfired on us. This bit us in the butt. Now we got to come up with a different plan, and you can't tell me that that plan won't be a desperate measuring, a, a plan of desperate, desperate measure to try to maybe, again, not saying it would happen, but it's a possibility, rig the election to go in the favor of the Democrat at representative, whoever that might be. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, guys, you know, I would not. I would not put it past a person like Nancy Pelosi or those around her to try to find another means to get Trump out. But yeah, as of today, he's been acquitted. He's been found not guilty. There are there are people that are happy that you know he's going to continue his run as president. There are some, like I said, that are not, and there are some that are indifferent uh, that are indifferent about the decision because mostly what they're angry about is the fact that they wasted so many taxpaying dollars, all this just, uh, well, not they, but the, the Democrats, I should say, the Democratic Party and Nancy Pelosi and all them wasted so many taxpaying dollars of the people just to try to get them out, and it was all for naught. So we'll just have to see what the outcome is going to be later on. But again, you know, Trump, he's not found guilty. He's been acquitted. Again, like I said, there are a lot of people that are happy. There are some that are not, and there are some that are indifferent. And the reason they're indifferent is it's just a matter of the fact that the Democratic Party wasted millions, if not billions, of taxpaying dollars to get this trial, to get this impeachment trial going, only to try to get them out, only for it to backfire on them. So we'll have to wait and see what the outcome is, what the outcome of this is going to be, what the aftermath is. But my fear, and I know I'm not alone in this probably, is they're going to try and go the desperate desperate times calls for desperate measures route. 
And that possibly could include rigging this year's election to go in the favor of whoever the Democrat representative is going to be. So, but so yeah, that's that's basically my thoughts on Donald Trump being acquitted and found not guilty um, in this whole impeachment thing. All right, next up, we're going to talk about Disney. Yes, Disney taking more control over Hulu. All right, so in case you guys don't know, uh, comicbookcast.com recently made a report on YouTube, and it's floating around online to the L.A. Times, uh, Variety, I think, Forbes, that Disney is planning to move a lot of the a lot of the Hulu stuff in house, a lot of the a lot of the content of Hulu in house. That the CEO of Hulu has stepped down, and the guy that now runs uh, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus is going to take over in his place, and that Hulu is also going to be running on the same platform that Disney Plus is um, as we speak. So this is a big deal. This is a, 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 a very, very big deal. In fact, let me see if I can find it again. Excuse me. Excuse me there. <laughs> yeah, but The Verge, LA Times. LA Times, actually, let's see what they say. Let's see what they say. Um, okay, this is from Los Angeles Times Online, reported back on the 3rd. But this is what they said. That And this is the L.A. Times. This was reported by Lucas Shaw and Christopher Palmer off of Bloomberg News. It says here, as the workday round to a close Friday evening, employees from Hulu flocked to local watering holes across Santa Monica to toast the end of an error. Some were thrilled, some fought back tears, but they all accepted the, that, but they all accepted that Hulu's days as a standalone operation were over. They state, earlier that day, Walt Disney Company had announced that Hulu chief executive Randy Freer would depart in the coming weeks, and that the people under him would now report to Disney managers. The world's largest entertainment company is tightening its grip on Hulu after the successful launch of Disney Plus in November in a push to sell all its streaming services in a single discounted bundle. Further punctuating Hulu's ambitions, a Hulu ad with NFL star Tom Brady saying it's time to say goodbye to TV as you know it, which they did show. It says Hulu's domestic subscriptions rose sharply in the final two months of 2019, fueled by a package that included both Disney Plus and ESPN Plus for a total of $13 a month. Disney's bundling of the three services accounted for a significant share of Hulu's signups in 2019, uh, according to Antenna Analytics a research firm that measures subscriber data from streaming companies. The gains helped Hulu grow twice as fast as Netflix in the United States last year, with the service easily surpassing surpassing 30 million total subscribers, according to people with knowledge of the numbers. In 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 the last publicly reported numbers, Disney said Hulu had 
28.5 million customers at the end of September. Now, it also says Disney will give investors an update on the performance of its streaming efforts Tuesday. On its streaming efforts, okay. It goes on to say that Disney will give investors an update on its streaming efforts Tuesday in its first quarterly report. That Okay, let me reread that. It says, Disney will give investors an update on the performance of its streaming efforts Tuesday in its first quarterly report since the company began selling the Disney Plan or the Disney Plus family-focused service. CEO Bob Iger will tout the growth of that service and the popular Baby Yoda character it has spawned. But he will also update investors on Hulu. Sorry about that. My thumb at the mic there. Goes on to say, Hulu is a key part of Iger's three-pronged approach to streaming, providing more grown-up fare for complement to... Okay, Hulu, he said, uh, this is what I'm trying to say. Hulu is a key part of Iger's three-pronged approach to streaming, providing more grown-up fare to complement Disney's family and sports offerings. In March, Hulu will add hit shows from the catalog of Disney's FX networks and a recent original series produced by that cable outlet. At the same time, the service is reducing when it, what it buys from outside the Disney family. That's what it says. It says at the same time. Okay, so let me uh, reread that. It says Hulu is a key part of Iger's three-prong approach to streaming, providing more grown-up fare to complement Disney's family and sports offerings. In March, Hulu will add hit shows from the catalog of Disney's FX networks and release original series produced by that cable TV outlet. At the same time, the service is reducing what it buys from outside the Disney family. Now, that's kind of interesting. Now, it does go on to talk about other things about the deal. So, okay, here we go, the tighter grip. Okay, it says here, this is, this is what the tighter grip is. Hold, hold on. It says... Kevin Meyer, or Kevin Mayer, Iger's top lieutenant, met with Freer's senior management team Friday afternoon after the announcement of Freer's departure. Meyer may appoint a general manager of Hulu, but he and Iger will have a more direct influence on Hulu's operations. As part of the changes announced last week, Disney would take over functions such as finance, human resources, and public relations. Hulu's original programming team was already reporting to Dana Walden, the head of Disney's TV studios. Hulu's technology team will co- Hulu's technology team will be combined with Disney Streaming Services, formerly BAM Tech, which runs Disney's streaming business. Hulu currently employs more engineers than entertainment executives, in contrast with Disney, and competes with top technology companies for new hires. Its employees identify its employees identify as hooligans. Okay. All right. On Over the longer term, Disney sees benefits that will outweigh whatever short-term pain Hulu experiences. Existing TV networks benefit from an online outlet to reach young viewers who no longer watch cable or satellite. 
Tom Asherman, president of Disney's young adult-focused Freeform Network, told journalists last month that two-thirds of the online viewers for his original programs come from Hulu. Okay. I know that didn't make sense, and I do. I know I sound like I rambled there, so I do apologize. But basically, long story short, guys, long story short, uh, basically, Disney, Hulu is going to become more Disney-like. Um, in other words, now, it's not going to be all Disney-like. I'll put it this way. It's going to be 75% Disney, 25% its own thing. Let's look at it that way. 75% Disney, 25% its own thing. And what that means basically is this. Um, if Hulu decides, because one of the shows that's being touted for Hulu later this year is the rebooted Animaniacs. Animaniacs, believe it or not, was a Warner Brothers property, if not still is a Warner Brothers property. So when we're, so when you hear in that report that part of this tighter grip, part of this overarching control that Disney's going to have more so on Hulu than before, when you hear it talk about reducing what it buys or what it licenses outside of the Disney family, it makes you wonder if maybe Animaniacs may not be that long for Hulu. Like it'll debut on Hulu because that's part of the deal but then maybe slowly migrate itself over to HBO Max. Got to think about that. Yeah, think about that. It might slowly migrate itself over to HBO Max because Animaniacs is a Warner Brothers cartoon. So it being on Hulu, yeah, that's part of its deal, but you got to wonder how long it may last on there. And what other shows that outside of Disney, Hulu's, already negotiated and made deals with to premiere on their network exclusively or on the streaming service exclusively, you got to wonder how long they're going to be on Hulu, you know, if they're an outside Disney property. You know what I'm saying? It, it makes you wonder. It makes you think, you know, exactly uh, what could be in store for those programs that already Hulu made a deal with before this whole situation with Disney happened, uh, to premiere on the streaming service, you got to wonder how long they're going to be for that network being non-Disney uh, related or connected. So uh, overall, though, it sounds like it sounds like it's a promising situation, Asian for for Hulu. It does open the door for a lot more, you know, Disney related program that may not be suitable you know, for uh, Disney Plus to show up on Hulu. And we'll just see what happens. I mean, remember, they did say Hulu's going to house a lot of R-rated stuff that wouldn't be appropriate for Disney. So you got to think, pretty movies like Pretty Woman, the X-Men mo uh, movies like Logan and Deadpool, those are all going to show up on Hulu. But you also got to look at other shows as well. You got to think maybe The Simpsons might migrate. Well, they're already there, I should say. But you might think, you know, shows like American Dad's going to migrate over there. Well, it's already there, period, what I'm talking about. But you got to think a lot of the shows that Disney now owns that are under the Fox umbrella 
or were under the Fox umbrella are going to migrate or be housed more there than they've ever been. So makes you wonder. It makes you think and wonder. But yeah, Disney apparently is taking more control over Hulu. It's getting a tighter grip. And again, it makes you wonder about the future of some of those other shows and maybe movies that Hulu made a deal with already before the whole Disney uh, purchase and this whole Disney Plus situation occurred, how they're going to be affected and how long they're going to be on the Hulu streaming service. Because as the thing said, it's going to reduce, um, it's going to kind of reduce down on its, um, on what it li- and what it uh, gets outside of Disney, basically what it licenses or buys, you know, outside of Disney. So, going to be really interesting, really interesting to see uh, what they do. But yeah, Disney basically is taking a more stronger uh, approach, a more tighter approach, more of a hands-on approach with Hulu. And they're definitely slowly, mig- uh, not migrating, but they're slowly integrating it, in, uh, integrating it into the Disney formula and into the Disney family more so than uh, before. So yeah, that's what's going on there. That's what's going on there. And we'll just have to see, wait and see what happens. But it definitely sounds like, you know, Hulu's going to Hulu basically is going to be what they said it's going to be. It's going to be more adult oriented more grown-up fare but again you got to remember there are some shows and licenses that you know hulu has outside of disney that you know you might think to yourself okay how's this show going to be affected now that disney's pretty much taking almost complete control over uh the product you know what i'm saying You know, you got to wonder about that because, like I said, you got Animaniacs coming. You got some other shows that are coming that are outside of Disney. You got to wonder what their fate's going to be within the initial year. Anyway, though. Anyway, though, next up. uh, Next up here, and I was just moving something there. Next up, let's talk about. Daka Makuras. Daka Makuras. Uh, it's a Japanese term for, or Japanese translation of body pillows or characterized body pillows. And why it's okay to, and why it's okay to, in some cases, show that you have one and also give some hints on how to do so, especially if you feel that there are people you're around that may not understand, you know, why you have one. And in case you guys are wondering what a Dakamakura is, let this up for a second. It's a body pillowcase, um, if you will. It's a body pillowcase uh, with a character. It's a characterized body pillowcase, or even if you order it to have both the pillow and the pillowcase on top of that, it's pretty much what it is. It's the Dakamakura body pillowcase, if not body pillow, you know, with the case in with the characterized case 
included already on top of it. And here's the thing. Like I said, you know, here's the thing. It's okay in some cases to show that you have one. It really is. It really is because you know what? There's a lot of people out there, believe it or not, there is a ton, a ton of people out there that have Dr. Makura's um, in their life. There is. There are some that don't even order the pillows and they just hang them on the walls. They do. You know, they, they hang them on the walls. And again, I understand how people, and I understand some people coming out and saying, it's nice that you have one, but maybe you shouldn't be showing it and all that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not that big of a deal, honestly. It isn't. It's not that big of a deal when you think about it. Because here's the thing. If it was that big of a deal, don't you think companies like Hasbro or Funimation or Bandai or whoever would come out and tell these companies or these people that are doing this, hey, uh, we're giving you legal notice. Don't do this anymore. You think, don't you think they would be, they'd come out, don't you think they would have come out and said something by now? Of course they would. But you know why they don't? Because they know it gets them a lot of publicity. It gets them a lot of publicity. It gets people invested and interested in what in that character and the franchise of and basically the franchise that it's associated with. That's what it does. You know, that's what it does. It it gets people invested. It really does. You know, it gets people, you know, invested in, you know, well, invested in the franchise, but also invested in the character connected to it. It makes them want to look more into that franchise, more into that character. So, there's, so again, there's nothing wrong in most, in some cases, if not most cases, uh, coming on places like Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Daily Motion or Vimo or BitChute or whatever, and showing that you have a Dakamikura. There, there isn't nothing wrong. Now, now, however, I do acknowledge that even though there's nothing wrong in showing it, I do acknowledge that there are those out there, friends or family, that may not understand. They may not understand. Hear me out. You see, you could live with family or you can live with friends and if you tell them, oh, yeah, I want to show you something. And then they see a Dr. Mikura, and then they see basically what it looks like on both ends. They're going to question why you have it. They will question why you have it. You know, they might, or they might be, in your eyes, the kind of person that would question why you have it. So how do you show that you have one, but without them knowing? How do you do that? Well, it's real simple. 
you carefully hide it. Yeah, you carefully hide it. You find a place in your room, mostly maybe a closet or storage area, maybe even a futon that's, you know, not wearing out, you know, not wearing out and having stuff, you know, uh, sticking, you know, out, out, out from the bottom like springs and stuff. But if you have a futon or you have a closet or a storage area that you know of, then all you do, or even, heck, you know, one of those uh, dress, one of, what are those? Um, it's, a, it's a suitcase. It's basically, it's a suitcase for a tuxedo, a tuxedo case. Whatever they may be, just get one of those, whatever your means is of hiding it, and just hide it. And bring it out when you feel more comfortable. Hold on for a second. All right. Sorry about that. I was letting my dog out. But like I said, you know, bring it out out when you feel more comfortable. That's all you do. You know, again, it, there's nothing wrong with showing it in some cases. You know, on places like YouTube, Vimo, BitChute, Facebook, Twitter, Daily Motion, you name it. But if you do feel like there's an issue and you feel that somebody you may show it to may question why you have it or may you know, you know, wonder why you have it or may even be like, you know, I don't want that thing around kind of deal. Here's what you do. You hide it. Like I said, you hide it. You either get, you either find room in your closet or if you have a futon or your bed or whatever, hide it under there. I mean, I'll give you a good example. My nephews, uh, well, I don't know if one of them would work, but my nephews have one of those platform beds that have drawers underneath. Here's what you do. If you have a platform bed, then you basically just hide it in one of the drawers if it fits. If it's like one big, it's like one drawer. If one drawer is basically this size, if you will, then hide it in there. Or, like I said, if you have a if you have a tuxedo case, a tuxedo suitcase, where you know you would hang your tuxedo, your dress suit, whatever, and take it on traveling and all that. And if you feel the thing can fit in there, you put it in there. Or you put it in your closet. Or if you have a futon, hopefully one that's not wearing out, like I mentioned earlier, you put it, you lift your thing up, you put it under there. You know, problem solved. And then you bring it out when you're, you feel more comfortable. You bring it out when you're ready. Like if you're going to go to bed and you want to bring it out, there you go. If you have the place to yourself like I do, and you want to bring it out, you want to keep it out for a while, 
because you're always high, you're always putting it someplace where you pretty much feel like you're going to keep it there. Because I'll be honest, you know, I do live with family. I do live with family that may not totally understand. They may not. And I'm not denying that. You know, but like I said, they may not understand. So basically, what do I do? I take what I have and I put it in my closet. And I don't let anybody, and I bring it out whenever nobody's, when either people are asleep, when everybody's in bed, or I bring it out like when I have the place to myself. So it's it's not, there's nothing really wrong, but again, I understand where people are coming from. I understand how people feel about, you know, others not understanding that, hey, I have this item, you know, that I'm, that I enjoy having. Not a lot of people are going to understand that, but I get, but I get where people are coming from, and I appreciate the advice people give me. But again, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing really wrong with showing it in some cases at places like YouTube, Vimo, Daily Motion, BitChute, you name it. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, whatever, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever you want to call it. There's nothing wrong with it, but. If you feel like, you you know, people may not understand just yet, then again, there are several things you can do. You could hide it in several places of your room, whether it's under your futon, under your bed, if you have room for it, uh, in one of those platform beds with the drawers, whatever, your tuxedo suitcase, your suitcase for your dress suit or whatever, you name it. You have various options. You really do. And sometimes if you're cave, and sometimes if you want to, and you want to go through the struggle, you could just take out the pillows out of the suitcase, out of the cases, fold up the cases, and store them away until later on. I'm just saying. But again, there's nothing really wrong with that. And like I said, I understand where people are coming from because I do have family that may not understand. In fact, when I go on Facebook and I, you know, do a video about having one of these, like a package opening or a follow-up or whatever, or even something like this. I don't show my family. My family's on my friends list. Most of my family's on my friends list. So what I do is I go friends except. Basically, that except being family that's not on there. That's a that's a list without my family on there. So I'm able to post my discussion of having a document cure on there. So... Anyway, though, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong whatsoever. Nothing, nothing at all. Nothing wrong whatsoever. You know, end of story. But again, if you do have family, and again, I do understand, that you feel family or friends that may not understand? Again, just hide it in whatever plot of your room that you can hide it in. I mean, I've got about a couple of minutes before my mom probably comes home, so I'm going to have to hide these. Because I know she won't understand. She won't understand. So anyway, though, guys, that's going to do it for that one. And the next one I'll be talking about in a moment.
Okay, guys. Um, sorry about that. I'm back. And for those of you listening audio-wise on the podcast, I do apologize for getting up and everything and just adjusting the mic. But okay, the next thing we want to talk about here is number six, liquid slash melting slash shape-shifting women slash men slash characters, the next big thing in all media stories. And the reason I bring that up, guys, is because even though I've seen it on DeviantArt, we've been seeing it a lot in media as well. There's there's no doubt we've been seeing it in media, guys. We've been seeing it a lot um, in media. Um, honestly, over the past several years, if not the past decade, we've been seeing this happening for a while. It may, may, may not be big of a trend, may not be no- noticeable at times, but it's there. It is there. And um, I think, honestly, it is definitely the next big thing. Uh, I know people say that video game movies could be the next, you know, comic, the next uh, interpretation of comic book movies, you know, could be the next, you know, like I said, the next. Um, com- Basically, a lot of people are now seeing comic book video game movies are going to be the next you know, step in movie adaptions like comic book movies were like comic book movies were, you know, adapted from comics and all that based on certain stories. A lot of people are viewing video game movies to be the same thing. Well, I also look at the fact that when you have a bunch of stories, fan fiction, original, official, whatever, from comics to movies to shows where you have women Men and any other characters gaining the powers of liquidity of liquid slash melting and shape shifting. I'm telling you guys, it is definitely the next. I think it's the next big thing. I really do. Um, and the reason I say that basically because when I look at stories at places like DeviantArt, I see potential of these kind of stories being on the small screen or the big screen. And you can't tell me that big, that, well, not big shots, but big slash independent slash up and coming uh, producers and directors, screenwriters. You can't tell me they're not paying attention to this kind of stuff because they are, they really are. You know, they, they are paying attention, but they're not going to come out and say, Oh well, we're paying attention and all that. No, they 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 are. They're, they're paying attention. They are paying attention, and they're paying attention more than you want to give them credit for. You know why? Because think about this. Think about this. When this is a strange um, comparison or a strange example, but when the original Powerpuff Girls came out. You didn't have any of the strangeness that you have with the new one. You most certainly did not have the tough as nails, tomboyish buttercup, basically switch bodies with a mutated character called Butterfingers. And literally, she becomes a walking pile of butter that melts and is able to shape shift and all that. You never thought you'd get something like that, but yet you do. Yet you got it. You know, you never thought from a, how do I put this, a shape-shifting perspective 
or even in official works, you would get an adaption of Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, that is, where Mary Jane in that version not only becomes Spider-Girl, but she becomes Spider-Girl because she gets infected by the Carnage Symbian, and she still has the Carnage Symbian inside of her, so she's able to shapeshift her body manually and even maybe reduce herself to a puddle of goop. Although we never saw that. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, she's able to do that. She probably has the power to do But again, we never saw that. Point that I'm getting at, guys. The point that I'm getting at. All right, the, the point that I'm getting at is you're seeing a lot of this happening. Not in a big way, but it's slowly building itself up. I mean, you have that Russian superhero movie where... The, f- the main female protagonist on the team is a freaking liquid girl that can turn herself into water, melt down into a puddle, maybe blend and become one with water, stuff like that. Heck, we saw it as early as the mid-90s to the late 90s with Nickelodeon's Alex Mack. So you can't, and even though that wasn't a bit, and even though what happened there wasn't a big game changer, nowadays, it's like anything is possible. Anything could be that next big trend in movies. It really can be. I mean, I'll put it to you like this. Let's take Scarlett Johansson, for example. The movie Lucy. She literally could basically was several times, there were several moments in there where she was like literally melting down. Even though she was just extending her body because of what she was involved in or what she was injected with, stuff like that. The, the point, and, and this is a big movie, big-time movie with a big-time star. The point that I'm getting at, folks, is this. The point that I'm getting at is this. No matter how you look at it, okay, no matter... How you view it, no matter how you look at it, all right, the fact of the matter is this. The fact of the matter is this. In today's cinematic world, or multimedia world, cinematic, comic books, you name it, digital, whatever, all it takes is one story. One main character with these kind of powers. Mostly at times, and I say this with all due respect. Someone, but mostly all the time. And again, I say this with all due respect. Mostly female. To probably have a big hit. To have something popular. To have a gold mine on your hand. So, don't be surprised if in the next several years. That some of the movies that come about, some of the television shows that come about, live action, animated, CGI, 3D, whatever you want to call it. Don't be surprised if this kind of stuff, you know, is the next big thing to be featured in a lot of these mediums. Don't be surprised if you see a lot more, you know, slime girls and melting slime, you know, like liquid girls, melting girls, shape-shifting girls, 
you know, liquid men, melting men, shape-shifting men, char- or characters overall, don't be surprised if you start seeing that. Don't be. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it's going to happen. You may not believe it. It may not seem believable to you right now. But again, remember, we live in a day and age where long ago, nobody thought comic books were going to be a big deal as far as movies were concerned. And guess what? They became just that. They became the next big thing in movies. Everybody wants to do a comic book movie, no matter what kind it is. You know, nobody thought that certain animes or mangas would get the big screen treatment and become massive hits. But guess what? That's what's happened. You know, you know, with some various degrees of success. And, you know, and some are saying video game movies can't be done right. And, again, with various degrees of success, that's been proven wrong. I mean, you take a look at some of the tomb, the recent Tomb Raider movies and now the uh, upcoming Sonic movie, which I'll talk about in a moment. You know, these are all proving those theories wrong. Not theories, but these are all proving the fact, I should say, that anything can and will, can and could be adapted and made successful. So is liquid, so is liquid slash melting slash shape-shifting women slash men slash characters overall the next big thing in all medias, movies, comic books, television? Yeah, I really, yeah, honestly, I think so. I think they really are. So. That's all I'm going to say, though, guys, on that topic. But that's all I'm going to say on that topic. You guys let me know what you think about that and if you agree or not. I mean, especially if we have the technology we have today, CGI and everything, anything is possible. All right. Second, the next thing, the seventh topic we want to talk about is will we see a sequel to the Sonic movie? Now, should it succeed? Should, will we see a sequel to the Sonic movie? Should it succeed? Of course, the Sonic movie is projected for release uh, a week from this Friday uh, around the world, or here in the United States, that is. So the question anybody has is, will we get a sequel? Will we get a sequel? I forgot to put get in the name there, so we'll change that. Okay, but yeah, oh, never mind. (laughs) But anyway, uh, will we get a sequel? Will we get a sequel? Um, I I think so. I I think so. I think if the movie, as some people are projecting it will be, is successful, I think I think we will get a sequel. You know, but, you know, the thing is, the thing is, it all depends on if the movie succeeds. If it becomes a box office hit. And what's funny is a lot of people are projecting that it's going to be. They are. 
a lot of people are projecting that the movie is going to be a huge success. I mean, despite the fact that last year, I don't think anybody, when they first saw the initial trailer with the design that we got, you know, nobody thought it would be. You know, no one thought, oh, it's going to be a big hit. You know, nobody thought that. No one thought, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have a big hit on here here <laughs> with this movie after they saw that first trailer. But now that you've had the redesign, you've had the um like I said you've had the redesign and all that. Um, honestly, honestly, I, I think, I think it will be. I think, I think what everybody's now saying, possibly it will be, is going to happen. I, I think it is. I, I really think, um, you are looking, um, you are looking at something that I believe could be a big hit. Now, the question is, though, will we get a sequel? Well, that's going to be up to Paramount and Sega. But I think if they rake up an, enough cash, I think if they wake up an, rank, rake up enough cash um, in the future, then I think, yeah. I think, honestly, yeah, we, we will probably get a sequel. I, I really do. I think, honestly, we will get a sequel. But it all depends on how successful. Now, a lot of people will look at some of the clips that have come out internationally and stateside and all that. And they will point out that we're pretty much going to get a sequel because we got all these hints of things happening. Like... When you see Sonic as a baby or as a young version of himself and he's presenting a flower to whoever, parents or whatever, and behind him you see what looks like to be echidnas, echidnas, then that pretty much opens the door that, yeah, you're going to pretty much opens the door to a sequel with, you know, knuckles involved, tails involved and all that. And you also have to look at little Easter eggs thrown in there once in a while, especially, let's say, with the main theme song for the soundtrack, uh, Speed Me Up. Speed Me Up is a good song, and one of the lyrics mentions, and two of the lyrics, and throughout those lyrics, I should say, they mention Knuckles, they hint at him, they mention Tails, saying he's Sonic's best friend, and they talk about some kind of female. You know, like, taking her out and all that. But again, you know, the there are those hints, those little Easter eggs in that song. So again, the question really out there is, will we get a sequel? Should the movie succeed? And I think we will. The other question is would be would it just be a one would it just be one sequel and that's it? Or we'd get a multitude of sequels. Again, it all depends. If we get a sequel and the sequel is successful, then yeah, there's no doubt we'll get more. But the but it's up to Sega and it's up to the franchise, you know. Because 
obviously Sega and Paramount, they know that there's a variety of characters they can work with. So they're going to need to bring in certain characters to be able to, oh, they're going to have to bring in these characters, I should say, down the line because fans are expecting them. So how that happens, how that happens all hinges on the success of this movie that comes out next week. But will we get a sequel? I think pretty much right now, according to a lot of people, the projection is, you know, the movie's going to be this movie. The projection is the movie itself is going to be a success. And by being a success, I think, yes, I think, yes, that we will get a sequel. And I know a lot of people watching or listening to what I have to say, I totally agree with that. So, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely believe we'll get a sequel. I really do. It just, again, is dependent on what we get on how the movie plays out um, successfully, like what the box office return will be opening weekend. So, and you got to remember this too. It's President's Day weekend that week. So that's going to help it out in a big way um, as well. All right. So next up, the final topic is what future characters could we get in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Season 2 pack? Now, in case you guys don't know, uh, Smash Brothers recently released their final character for their um, Season 1 pack of six characters that they would release as fighters. They released uh, Blaith, uh, another Fire Emblem character, I should say. Blythe, I think that's her name. His, her name. It's basically a character you could play either way. So the question is, will we get more, or what other characters will we get um, in the future? You know, that is, that honestly is a decently good question. We don't uh, – okay, again, that's an honestly a good question So, because we don't honestly know what Nintendo has planned. I mean, when the first pack came out, we were kind of surprised by some of them. You know, Banjo-Kazooie, we were hoping for, we got him because, you know, Microsoft and Nintendo are kind of buddy-buddy right now. Uh, we got Terry from Final Fight, which was a bit of a surprise. So the quest, so the question is, who do we get next? Because a lot of the other characters we did get were, you know, like Joker was a surprise from Persona, Terry from Final Fight. Um, like I said, uh, Banjo Kazooie was a big surprise. But then the other ones were like mostly in house. I think I think they were mostly in house. Let me. Let me check here for a second. <sighs> okay, so I'm going to check here. Well, we got Blythe, which was the sixth character. Uh, 
What else did we get? Hold on, come on, come on. We got Terry from Final Fight. Oh, no, what was it, Final Fight? No, um, we got, was it Final Fight or Fist of... No, we got um, we got Terry from Fist of Fury. That's what it is, Fist of Fury, SNK fighter. So we got Fist of Fury's Terry. Um, in the game, we got Banjo and Kazooie, which a lot of people were happy about. We got the hero from Dragon Quest. Basically, a bunch of them. We got Joker from Persona 5. And then we had Piranha Plant. So those were the characters, DLC-wise, that we got. Now... Now, basically, it's called it's called the Fighter Pass Volume One. So this is Fighter Pass Volume Two, or Season Two. So again, the question is, you know, we get all the characters I just mentioned from Blythe, Joker, Terry, Piranha Plant, the Hero, uh, Banjo Kazooie, Banjo Kazooie, if you will. The question is, who would be next? Who would be the next fighters? The next pack in the next volume? The next six fighters? Now. Andre Meadows, a black nerd comedy, did his own video on it. And he brought up some good suggestions. He did 15 of them, but I'm not going to do that. Because his video, this live stream would be way too long, longer than it is. Uh, but basically, he brought up some good ideas of characters that legitimately could get in. Kind of like a, some that are kind of like iffies, like wild cards. And some that are way out there, but still could possibly, still could be possibilities. But here's the thing. When you're dealing with a fighter game and you're able to get the license to a lot of these characters uh, to be involved, that's great and everything. All these third-party characters, that's great. But here's the deal. As we have seen with this recent DLC pack, we had the only characters that we had third-party-wise, Joker, Terry, Banjo. The other ones were Nintendo. Piranha Plant, the hero, Blythe. So, when you're looking at what the future, the second volume is going to be like, you got to look at Nintendo. You got to look at Nintendo. You got to look at it from Nintendo's point of view, and you got to definitely look at them, looking at the. Looking at it from an in-house perspective, like yeah, they'll still probably get some third parties here and there, but mostly with Volume Two, you take a look at what you got here. You kind of got half and half, like half of it's third party, half of it's in-house. Nintendo is going to look more so in-house than ever before, because they know it takes money to get these characters. They really do. So, who could we get in Volume Two? of, you know, of the fighter pass for Smash Brothers Ultimate. What characters could we get? And again, you got to look in-house. You got to look in-house first before you look outside the box. 
Um, and in Housewives, I think the character will get for Smash. <laughs> you guys are not going to like what I say here. You're not going to like it, but if we have... Here's the thing. If we have Luigi and Mario, we have, in response, Peach and Daisy and Rosalina, somewhat. But mostly, if you take Rosalina out of the picture and you just look at Mario, Luigi, the opposites, female-wise, and Peach and Daisy, right? You look at Zelda, who's his opposite. I mean, not Zelda, but you look at Link, who's his opposite, Zelda. So you say to yourself, okay, what are you? Now you're probably asking, well, what are you trying to get at, Brian? I'll try tell you what I'm getting at. I'm getting at the fact that we're going to get two characters, two Mario-related characters. At the same time, one at the same time, because one's going to be an Echo Fighter. We're going to get Toad as a DLC. Yes, Toad. And we're going to get Toadette. Now, you might say, well, Toad's with Peach. That's impossible. He's already in there. Yes, but that doesn't mean he can't be used. And besides, the Toad she's using could be any Toad. But I'm talking specifically Toad. And I believe along with that, we're going to get Toadette as an Echo Fighter. So, excuse me. So, the way I look at it, the first DLC in house to become part of Smash is Toad as a main fighter and Toadette as his Echo Fighter. That's what I see. The second one in house is obviously an easy one. You got Yoshi, right? You got Yoshi playing. You might as well get Birdo in there. So I think that the next one in-house, DLC-wise, in Volume 2 of the Final Pass, to join Toad and Toadette
I am so sorry, guys. I don't know what happened there. Something went wrong. I do apologize. I got to see where I went. Hold on, guys. I got to see what happened here. I don't know what happened. She suddenly died out on me. <laughs> I don't know what happened. They see Sega and Paramount. You gotta look in house first before you. But mostly, if you take Rosalina out of the picture and you just look at. Mario, Luigi, the opposites, female-wise, and Peach and Daisy, right? You look at Zelda, who's his opposite. I mean, not Zelda, but you look at Link, who's his opposite. One in-house. Now, this is obviously an easy one. You got Yoshi, right? You got Yoshi playing. Hold on, guys. Might as well get Birdo in there. So I think... That the next one, in-house, DLC-wise, in Volume 2 of the Final Pass, to join Toad and Toadette. All right, sorry about that, guys. I don't know what happened there. But getting back to what I was saying... To kind of continue where I left off, I do apologize. Uh, basically, what I was trying to say is, I look at if you know if you got Yoshi in there, you got to have Birdo. So yeah, basically, I look at Toadette, and I look at Toadette, you know, on her own, if not as an Echo Fighter, if Toad isn't the first one. And I look at Birdo as being the second one. If, you know, you know, since you got Yoshi, you know, like I said, you got Link, Zelda, Mario, Peach, you know, Luigi, Daisy. To me, I think the most logical next one would be Yoshi Birdo. So I think Birdo would be next. And then the other one in-house, I believe you have to go with. Um, and again, I know it might surprise people here because she's an assistant trophy or spirit helper. Uh, you have to go with Crystal. I'm going to go with Crystal from Star Fox. I think it makes sense. It's in-house. And you have three in-house characters. And I know what some of you are saying, because I mentioned this earlier, or at least tried to before something happened here. It sounds like this is mostly a female empowerment pack. And I'm totally cool with that. I'm totally cool with this being a female empowerment pack. So to me... I definitely have no problem with, you know, Nintendo going that route. Now, as far as, now you might say it sounds similar to the first volume pack, right? And you'd be correct. Because you have three in-house characters as DLC fighters. You would need uh, basically three uh, third parties. And I believe the third, and I believe the first third party character and what could be potentially a female empowerment pack uh, to join them, I think the first one should, I think the first one will be 
Amy Rose. That's right. Because just like I said with Birdo being added in because of Yoshi's in there. And, of course, you got Mario, Link, Mario, Peach, Luigi, Daisy, Link, Zelda, Crystal, possibly, and Star Fox. I I think, honestly, uh, Amy Rose being added in there from the Sonic franchise, being opposite of Sonic, would be great. You know, I think her attacks would be fun. She's got the hammer and stuff. So, you know, her final smash could be, you know, her spinning around with her hammer and knocking somebody into the moon. And imagine you're doing the home run derby. You could use Amy Rose. She can hit that thing and break a lot of records, even the records you've already established with other characters. So I think, honestly, the uh, fourth character, the fourth character in what would be a female empowerment pack, in my opinion, and I say that with all due respect, because I'm all for that, uh, would be Amy Rose. I really think Amy could be uh, a good choice. I really do. Now, the second third-party character, the second one, um, Andre Meadows brought this up uh, in his uh, video, and I think he's correct on it. I think he's on point that this could be a good selection for them to go third-party-wise. Chung Lee. I think Chung Lee from Street Fighter is great, but would be a great choice because you have Ryu, you have Ken. Chung Lee would be the perfect choice because just like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, they're looked at like they're looked at as the Trinity of Street Fighter. Like these are the main faces you know of or you hear you think of when you hear about Street Fighter. So I think Chung Lee would be the perfect selection in volume two of the Fighter Pass as part of this female empowerment deal. Which again, no, I say that with all due respect because I'm all for it. But then, but then we get to the last choice. And hold on for a second, guys. I gotta do something. Before I forget.
Sorry about that, guys. I had to go take care of something before I forgot. Um, but anyway, like I was saying, um, I, I definitely uh, – let me just take my thing here. Okay. But I definitely um, think Chung Lee would be a great choice. I think Andre's right on the bat about that one. But now the question is what would be the third third-party character we could get? What is the third third-party character we could get? To balance it out, like three in-house, three in third parties. And I think, honestly, I know this would be a long shot, but I think sorry about that, but I think honestly, again, this might be a long shot, but I think it would be worth it. I mean, here's the thing. Nobody thought that Injustice 2 would announce along with the inclusion of at the atom and enchantress that part of that reveal of DLC pack fighters that injustice two would show the ninja turtles. Nobody thought that would happen. I mean, yes, they crossed over with Batman. There's no doubt, but nobody thought that would occur. But yet, here we are, all of a sudden, about over a year over a year later, and we and any of us that pop in Injustice 2 can play as the Ninja Turtles, any one of them. So, even though it's a long shot, I think with a lot of fans really getting behind it and petitioning it for it to happen, I think Nintendo wouldn't have a problem doing it, especially with the fact that if they hear about... Um, Games like Them Fighting Herds being parodied and modded with these characters to be played at conventions like in arcade-style cabinets and stuff or online. I think they wouldn't have a problem doing this because it helps promote the It helps keep the franchise alive. It helps promote uh, the care. It helps keep the franchise alive. It helps keep the characters going, promotes, you know, possible future things like Pony Life and the movie. And yes, what I'm talking about, because I just said the word there, I'm talking about the MLP Main 6, or in this case, Twilight Sparkle. Yeah, I definitely think Twilight Sparkle should be entered into this. It's a long shot, but female empowerment-wise, it'd be a great third-party character to bring in. Uh, Again, nobody thought the Ninja Turtles would be added into Injustice, but yet here you were, they were, they were added in, surprisingly. So I think, honestly, uh, if Nintendo really wants to surprise people and show that, hey, what, you, and show the world that, hey, NetherRealms is not the only third party, is not the only company, uh, Warner Brothers, NetherRealms, you know, not, they're not the only care, uh, company, you know, or consoles like PS4 and Xbox, you know, one. You know, that they're not the only, um, you know, consoles and companies that could surprise you and shock you with fighter revelations. We could do the same thing. So I think even though it's a long shot, I would say Twilight Sparkle's got to be it. You want to complete the female empowerment pack for Volume 2, Fighter Passwise for Smash. I think she would be the perfect selection. And her final Smash could be very identical to um 
to what they do with Nether Realms did with the Ninja Turtles. You could have her. You could have Twilight be a select a selectable character. Is what you could have. Actually, when I think about it, if they want to go the route that Nether Realms did with the Ninja Turtles, then yeah, incorporate all of the main six, but make them selectable. Make them like, okay, when you select the Ninja Turtles in Nether Realms, you got to go by which character you want, right? Like the skin. So I think obviously that could be great for Twilight, you know, because they do that in Smash. You can go through various skins for Twilight, like. They could have the same move set and the same final smash, but you could go from okay, Twilight's the primary selection, but then all of a sudden, oh, there's Rainbow Dash, oh, there's Rarity, there's Applejack, there's Fluttershy, there's Pinky, there's heck, you want to throw Spike in there? Throw Spike in there, <laughs> you know, throw Starlight in there if you want to. But the thing is, or mainly just have it be the main six. But the thing is, I believe it would be a great choice it would really surprise people nobody would see it coming you know they would think oh it's never going to happen and all of a sudden boom here it is it's happening so i think honestly twilight sparkle and mostly the main six if you will is a great final selection for the final slot of this volume two fighter pass for smash the what i call the female empowerment one so when we look at it these are the six that I see filling those voids, making it a female empowerment pack. Toadette, if she's not an Echo Fighter for Toad, if he gets selected. Birdo, Crystal from Star Fox, Amy Rose from Sonic, Chung Lee from Street Fighter, and Twilight slash the main six as the surprise DLC fighters from My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Those are the ones I see. Those are the ones I could possibly see happening. And there might be others that they might think of too. Now, could I be wrong about this list of fighters? Probably. Probably. There's no doubt I'll probably be wrong about some of them, if not most of them. But I might get some right. I might get some wrong. We'll have to wait and see. But anyway, though, guys, that's pretty much, though, going to do it uh, for this edition, this February 5th edition, 2020, of Topics on My Mind Live. Uh, For those of you that were listening or will be listening on the podcast, the audio portion through places like Spotify, Anchor.fm, Player.fm, you know, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast. For those of you listening in all those platforms and possibly in the future, places like iHeartRadio, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for your patience when I've gotten up out of my chair to go take care of some other things. Thank you all for your patience and everything. I do apologize for any interruption, for the interruption that occurred. I don't know what happened there. That was totally beyond my control. So I do apologize for that. But anyway, though, guys, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. Comment down below if you want. Tell me what your thoughts are on some of the things I had to say. And for those of you listening to the podcast audio-wise, take your time with this. This is a long deal. So, again, though, thank you all for watching. And I am out. God bless. Take care. Peace.